0: If I'm giving someone critical feedback, it it really always needs to be a video call. If I can't do a one-on-one meeting with them, I will literally just record a little video of myself talking and email it to them because like you said, the context is so important.
1: Welcome to another episode of Outside the Valley, the podcast where we interview remote startup leaders remote work advocates and founders of distributed teams who thrive outside of Silicon Valley. They share insight on what works and what doesn't so you can learn to do it right. This podcast is brought to you by Arc, the remote hiring platform that helps you hire remote software engineers and teams easily. I'm your host, Jovian Gautama. Today we have Laura Roder, CEO and founder of MitEgar. In this episode, we covered how Laura built a company that can run without her. Uh, why Meet Edgar has both a CEO and a president, and the importance of transparency in company culture. We also talked about why Meet Edgar doesn't believe in deadlines, which is kind of special. Why they used to title advocates instead of managers, and how you can give better criticism and feedback in a remote team. Laura also has a special gift for outside the valley listeners. You can get one free month of Meet Edgar with the coupon code PODCAST, all caps. So you just go to Meet Edgar and input the coupon code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. I guess you probably already know how to spell that because you're listening to podcasts podcast now. Okay, so, and if you're enjoying the podcast, please do consider leaving a review on iTunes because they will help other people like you to discover the podcast. So without further ado, here we go, Laura Roter. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Jovian. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, Laura, it's Really pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've been following your writings and your interviews for a while now. Like I mentioned before the call, I was slightly nervous to talk to you today. But yeah, I'm more than excited to um, learn more from you and about Meet Edgar. Um, yeah. Yeah, just to kick things off, um, just to introduce to people who are not that familiar yet uh, with Meet Edgar and with you, can you share a bit more about your background and the company itself? Yeah.
0: So Meet Edgar is a social media marketing automation tool. So we're a tool for publishing your content to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all the different social networks. Uh, I'm sure we have a lot of developers listening. Developers often really like us because we really automate a lot of the uh, tasks for social media marketing and Developers are not scared of automation. They love it. So, <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, we save basically, we save you a lot of time compared to other social tools. Um, and my background I've been an entrepreneur for, I guess, about like 12 years. Um, so, my whole career, I've been working for myself and uh, various businesses. I've really always been in the social media marketing and online marketing space either doing consulting, and then e-courses, uh, and then software, as I do today.
1: Right. When I was uh, when I re- when I reached out to you, so I realized that you're currently not active with the day-to-day of the company, and you have a president that mm-hmm. uh, do this. Uh, can you share a bit more about a, the decision itself, why you do that?
0: Yeah, so it's... It's a path that I've been on really since we launched. So something really unusual about the launch, when we launched Edgar in 2014, I was pregnant with my first child. So I knew that I'd be taking parental leave within the first year of our startup, right? I took three months off. So, and that was six months after after launch. Uh, so it was unusual, but it was a really, actually a great constraint because I had to build a company that would be fine with me being away for three months right in the first year, you know, Mm -hmm. which a lot, you know, I would say most founders probably have never been away from their business for three months, much, much less (laughs) in the, in the very first year. So, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to be able to take that time off. I've, I've never been a, you know, super hardcore hustle work all the time type of entrepreneur. Anyway, you know, I'm a big believer that you should build a business that, that you love and that supports your life. So I knew that I wanted to build something that I could, you know, take periods of time away from where I could travel or spend time with my family. And eventually work myself out of entirely. So at about the four to five year mark, uh, I promoted the person who had been our head of operations to a president role. So I still obviously do promotional stuff like this. I'm still, you know, hanging out on our Slack and I still have calls with the, the president, but I don't have any other like direct reports or like, you know, execution work that I do in the company.
1: Right. So, this is what I found really fascinating, uh, just like you mentioned, because since you built Edgar since day one, you were on the mindset that you want to build a company that won't be dependent on you mm. on the long run. Because so, um, a while ago, I talked to uh, Liam Martin, the founder of a startup called Time Doctor, mm-hmm. and he's also the organizer of Friday Remote, which you were, um, was a podcast interviewee. Mm. All right. So, we're talking about the evolution from the so-called entrepreneur to executive. Like, basically, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that just cannot let go of yeah. doing day-to-day stuff so if they're under your position right like that, You know, um, can I help you with something? Um, I'm yeah. not doing anything right now, so, and they just can't let go. But I just f- totally find it fascinating because, like you mentioned, you strive for build a company that okay, how can this company run without me? And then, like you mentioned, you want to. Uh, have a, like a great work-life balance mm. or something like so i, I totally found this a uh, fascinating so um so just curious about the trans actually let me take a step back um how big is mid-edgar now
0: we're about 15 people now
1: 15 people and all 100 percent should be
0: uh, yes, but all in the U.S., except for me. I'm actually in the U.K., but the rest of the team is in the U.S., so we've always had a U.S.-based team so that we can all work in the same time zones.
1: Got it, got it. Yeah, I'd love to uh, jump into that, like the whole team uh, a bit later. So on the transition uh, from you, you know, kind of like uh, facing out a bit from the company and delegate to um, the current president, Um, Keisha, but how was it like, was there any kind of like worry or any kind of, how to say uncertainty?
0: Mm -hmm. So I did it, uh, a year before I planned on doing it. So, you know, she and I had been talking about it, how this was a role that she'd like to move to at some point. And I had sort of told myself, I remember I told myself, okay, in September, 2019, that's when she'll start. And I was thinking that kind of a year before, like September, right. 2018, I'm like, then, you know, I'll have a year to kind of train her and we'll get her ready for that role. And I, I kind of realized I, I wish I could remember what I read. But it's so cheesy, but I swear I read some like inspirational quote on Instagram. <laughs> I was like on Instagram and someone's like, why do it tomorrow? And you can do it today. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> just some, like a really generic, yeah, yeah, yeah. cheesy quote, but you know, sometimes something just like strikes yeah. you the right way. And I was like, yeah, why, if this is something I know that I want, right. I want to put her in this role and take myself out of this role why am I waiting a year because it's not like I'm going to disappear as soon as she starts. So whatever kind of like training I imagine I need to do, which of course was very vague. If you'd asked me like, what's that training? I'm like, I don't know. We just need (laughs) to talk. (laughs) And like this is, she's been with the company since day one. Like I've been working with her really closely since we launched, so it's not like she doesn't, you know, know what's going on. She had always been in charge while I was on leave. Right. Like she was plenty prepared. So I just realized like, well, whatever this vague idea of training that I have, I mean, wouldn't Mm -hmm. it even be more effective once she's in the role, because then it's not theoretical anyway, then she's coming to me being like, what do I do about this? And it's like, here's, here's what I would do instead of like, maybe someday you'll find yourself in this situation, you know? So, yeah, so I just talked to her that day and I'm just like, let's like, it's, it's time. It's time now. Let's, let's just do it. So, um, you know, it just, I think it just shows that you're never you never feel totally prepared and totally True. ready. You just, have to, you just have to make that call and, and go for it and see what happens.
1: Right. So when you decided that one day you'll be transitioning um, to be less hands-on, um, as the process goes, did you share this gradually to the whole team?
0: Well, it was always it it was always kind of the role that I had with the team. Like I said, uh, I wasn't I, I was never that founder that was like first in, last out. Like Got I it. worked after the first leave. I was just working part-time. So people were always used to me and I'm I've just I'm not a micromanager. They weren't like, oh, Laura's like double checking everybody's work with everything. People were used to me having kind of that distance, so mm-hmm. it was it, it was a very natural progression.
1: Got it. Amazing. I'm just curious, like this is a very trivial question, but h- mm-hmm. how did you guys um um decide on the name the name of the title of president?
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? So <laughs> yeah. Really, it's just, I mean, you know, it's sort of arbitrary, but we don't have any, quote unquote, C-suite titles at our company, and like, we also don't use VP titles, so it's like, okay, I don't think like CEO is quite right, and she's also not, some people use like general manager, but it just sounds like, I don't know, it sounds very (laughs) retail-y to me to have a general manager, so Yeah. So we just decided on president because it sounds like, I wanted it to be clear that she's the leader of the company. It's not like I'm the leader and she's the Mm -hmm. operator, like she's the leader. So yeah, we just chose president, but it's definitely kind of arbitrary.
1: Yeah. So I noticed it a while ago. Uh, Did you realize that in a lot of bigger startups, there's a lot of vice president, but there are no presidents?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like who's the president? (laughs) Everyone's the vice.
1: Like. There's only Joe Biden there, but there, there's no Obama. Like, this is kind of weird. All right. Um, so now currently you are more like um, hands off with the company. You also, like this year, you opened a strategic coaching uh, consultation. And why did you decide to do that?
0: Well, so there were there were two reasons. Um, mm-hmm. One is that I had time. Like seriously, I was just like, what do I what do I do with myself? I mean, you kind of mentioned that a lot of people have this time, so they start right. like digging in and micromanaging the business. So right. I think it's true that you have to give yourself something else <laughs> to do. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love talking to entrepreneurs. Um, I was also interested in researching the uh, coaching and consulting industry. I'm actually probably going to release software in that space at some Mm -hmm. point in the future. We'll keep it very vague for now. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the best way to get to know an industry is to really dive into it. So that's what I've done.
1: Great. Huh. That's interesting. So um, yeah, this is kind of like teaser trailer for now.
0: yeah Um, yeah. cool
1: um so you know meet edgar sorry can you remind me again when did uh, meet edgar start 2015
0: 2014
1: 2014 right um so it's been like you know uh, four uh five years now so Mm -hmm. can you were there any some uh, what were some of the challenges mistakes you've made or lessons if you you've learned as a leader you know while running meet edgar can it Especially when it comes to you know team management or mm. anything
0: I mean we've had a lot of ups and downs at Edgar. I mean we've had to do layoffs, which is the worst we had a, we had to do layoffs because we had a huge uh drop in our revenue and lost a lot of customers after there were some changes uh to Twitter in particular and also losing access to Facebook groups for a while so i mean we've we've been through ups and downs for for sure you know it's been like a lot a lot has happened um over the over the five years and i mean one of the biggest lessons has been the value of of transparency of really sharing everything with your team um we've always been a very transparent company we share all of our financials aside from individual salaries uh you can see like Honestly, you can kind of ballpark it because if you if you really want to dig, yeah. you can kind of find like this is a development team salary and you yeah, know how yeah. many people are there, right? Yeah. Um, and we actually, we do like, we like people to have some sort of ballpark of how much different roles are paid because my point of view is like you never want to be shocked. I don't want someone... Yeah who is in a customer service role to be shocked that a developer makes more than them. A developer does make more than them. That shouldn't be a secret, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so we're very financial, we're very transparent with our financials. And that was a really fascinating thing when it came to the layoff. So people had seen that, you know, our expenses had become too high for our revenue. So when we did lay people off a lot of the people that were affected, it was definitely negative for them, but they were like, you know, I've been looking for another job because I saw <laughs> I saw that the finances weren't going well. You know, which is funny, but it's like that's actually that's actually great as mm-hmm. as the founder, right? That's kind of right, what you right. want is it yeah. for it to be the least crushing blow yeah. possible for them because it's like, yeah, people people are smart, you know. People yeah. see if things aren't going well. Um and that was such a huge lesson to me of like just sort of the unexpected way is That it pays off. And we're just, it's really important to us to share all information. You know, anyone can sit in on any meeting, anyone can see any document. Like, stuff is not siloed to different Mm -hmm. people or different departments because people can just make much better decisions when they understand everything that's going on across the
1: company. Right. When you late, um, during the layoff, like you mentioned that because of transparency, was there like a feeling that? actually the uh, the people who was unfortunate at that time was kind of like still rooting for meet edgar right because of the transparency that you gave along the way like i know this is something you have to do but i'm still rooting for you i'll just go find another job let's keep contact was that that kind of feeling
0: it really, yeah. I mean, I got positive emails from, I think, every single person um, that mm-hmm. was affected because we also gave severance. We gave oh, um, yeah. two, mu- two months severance, which, you know, in America, you're not required to give anything. Two months is kind of considered a, a pretty good amount. So people really appreciated that we did that, that we made the decision early enough to be able to do that. So yeah, I mean, I'm pretty happy to say that I've really maintained, there's also been people that I've let go over the years that I've also maintained really positive relationships with because that too, that should never be a surprise, right? If you're Mm -hmm. fired from your job it should not be a shocker that day there should be lots of conversations leading yeah. up to it where you know that it's it's not a match so that's that's been the case
1: yeah yeah totally um so right just before the call i mentioned to you that i can kind of scroll up uh into your twitter feed that's how i do research by the way um <laughs> so you there's this um you mentioned about you know not delivering criticism on slack which i totally understand because mm-hmm. i think there are times where um uh, my manager, my boss, can like say this on Slack, but it out of context. And in the, in text, it sounds like severe. It sounds really bad. Yeah. But when you talk it out, um, it's it's actually not that bad. So I'm just curious. It's kind of leaving this curiosity about your uh, one-on-ones with mm-hmm. your team members, like, uh, you know, delivering criticism or praise and whatnot. So can you share a bit more? Uh, how do you do one-on with your direct reports?
0: So, I yeah, I'm definitely a believer in praise in public, criticize in private. So, I try to do a lot of public praise on Slack where everyone Mm -hmm. can see it. Um, But, yeah, if I'm giving someone critical feedback, it it really always needs to be a video call. If I can't do a one on one meeting with them, I will literally just record a little video of myself talking and email it to them because, like you said, the context is so important. If you write in text, like, Hey, I found these mistakes on your report. That sentence alone in text, people can spin all sorts of stories about yeah. <laughs> what it means and are they saying I shouldn't do these reports anymore and they're taking this away from my plate and are they going to fire me now or like just saying it in a video being like, "Oh hey, I found these three mistakes, so go ahead and, you know, fix them, let me know when you've done mm-hmm. that." It's just such like a different experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, I really try not to uh, hold back on, on criticism, which is something that I've had to work on. You know, it can be uncomfortable giving people critical feedback, but it's really, it's really important. I just try to think, okay, if I find myself thinking something in my head, I need to share it with them. I mean, unless I'm just venting, right? Which we all, we all have like bad days where we're yep. like, Jovian, he, what, that guy's the worst. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't share that. Uh, but if you're seeing, if you're like, Oh, like Jovian made this video and I wish he had like made it faster. He takes too long to get to the point. If I'm watching the video thinking that like I should share that with you because I have something useful for you and useful for the whole company to, true. to make our work better. So um. Um, I am, you know, direct with people. I do share critical feedback in a kind way, not in a yeah, you yeah. know, an aggressive way, but with the idea that we're all like, you know, we're all working together, doing our best. So we all want to improve. What that is?
1: Yeah, I do find it interesting. Though, like you mentioned, like the context or the media where you trans uh, transmit the feedback is super important, mm-hmm. especially when you are the CEO, because. Mm-hmm. In any way, your voice will be the loudest. Yes. For me, I tend to think about the negative part, and uh-huh. probably if you slack me, like, okay, that's it, I'm going to fire. Like, probably reply you <laughs> with like, right. okay, when's my last day? <laughs> when's my last? I'm turning back my um, uh, company laptop. Um, so yeah, it's it's totally important. I think this also something. So I talked to um, a, a a startup founder named uh, Justin Mitchell. Uh, he worked for uh, not he worked. He found a startup called Chat. It's basically you can send voice message mm-hmm. uh, via um, um on Slack and or other on, on the app itself. What I find interesting is basically like when you talk it out, when you talk something out, it's either you you're getting soft, like you're more aware of what you wanna yeah. um, you wanna convey, and you kind of soften your tone and whatnot, and or when you even when you have when you're trying to convey an idea. Going to talk mm-hmm. something, but when you talk it out, you're probably in the middle hey it, this often actually not that important. So you, and mm-hmm. then you save time instead of like back and forth via Slack. Yeah. Um so yeah, I just found interesting. So I've when I'm doing this research uh for this podcast, so I've something that you repeated uh when it comes to remote team matching is that you're missing this uh quote unquote over overheard moments. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot see if you're a marketing team you cannot actually hear um the sales calls that the sales teams mm-hmm. are making. Um, and in your product team, you cannot hear what the marketing is planning about. And I totally can relate to that because I only transitioned to remote work, uh, to working remotely in this past six months. And then I do, we said like sometimes I'm kind of like out of the loop of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, you mentioned that the way to avoid this is being about being as public as possible on Slack. Would love for you to expand on this. Yeah. And... Would love to. Is there any other else that you can replicate this thing that can spark creativity?
0: Yeah, so I mean, one one thing that we do is have a lot of meetings. I think it's very popular right now to be like, oh, meet like meetings, yuck. Meetings are bad. Yeah. <laughs> meetings are bad. Meetings are so uncool. But especially being remote, you know, having a company-wide meeting every week where everyone's there on video discussing what's going on with the entire company, I think is really important for keeping people on the same page because like you kind of, you just, you really have to put it in front of people. Like if you're like, oh, well, you know what? Our marketing agendas are public and anyone could go look at them. It's like, well, oh. yeah, but like what developer has plenty to do? They're not going to spend their time like going to look at the agenda for a marketing meeting. I mean, I do think it's important that all that stuff is available and easily accessible, which it is, but it's just like, you know, how many people are actually going to do that? Whereas if it's like, okay, well, we have a company-wide meeting, everyone's sitting there, you can be thinking about someone else, something else, but hopefully at least part of your brain is a <laughs> yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. engaged and hearing yeah. the update from ops and marketing and development, you know? So I think a lot of meetings are important. We also uh really try to limit private messages. So this one is interesting because there's just been, as we're recording this, this big controversy from yep. the company away yep. where they had the same rule about no private messages and uh, things did not go well for that, yeah. <laughs> you know. And <laughs> this, is... this rule was was sort of blamed for. I'm it. just
1: grabbing my popcorn, like just saying on Twitter, yeah. oh, this is what <laughs> happens right now. Right. Yeah. Uh.
0: Um. So you know, we we try to limit private messages as much as possible because, of course, if something is in a direct message, nobody else can see it. And yeah we found that this actually is a little challenging for people because people often feel like, oh, I don't want to like clog up Slack with my little side conversation. You know, if they're having a specific conversation, asking someone like, oh, where can I, uh, where can I find this file? It's not in the Google Doc. Is it somewhere else? But little things like that, if you put them in a Slack channel, you can search for them later or yes. other people can right. see like oh, I thought we didn't have that file anymore, but now she's talking about it. Do we still use that? Like there's just a lot of little connections that happen when people can see everything. So I think that no private messages rule is a really good rule.
1: Yeah. I think people kind of like underestimate this um, subconscious creativity that comes. So -hmm. that's why if you're in the office, like over here, like the vibe, and I think you kind of get replicated by being public um, as public as possible on, Mm. uh, Slack message. Um, cool. And just curious, like, um, what are some special or fun things that you guys do at Meet Edgar to keep the, uh, culture great?
0: So, you know, it's always challenging being remote. You're always trying to find little ways that you can connect. Um, one that we've done that's fun is watching a movie together so like all watching the same movie at the same right. time and then doing like a little group chat about about the movie a lot of this yeah. stuff honestly feels really cheesy <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's just kind of what you have to you have to do in yeah. a remote company
1: yeah so that's so, so um a movie anything else or just like small stuff. That
0: you can- yeah, I mean, we do. Um, we do arrange, uh, group chats for people uh-huh, I see. to have just like video chats with like two to four people. Um, which. Again, it feels really awkward at first, like for the yeah. first like minute or two, you're like, "Okay, mm. what are we supposed to chat about?" But we find that it gets not awkward right right away mm. um and i think I think that's really important because one of the weird things about being remote you know our company is really small, right we're about fifteen yeah. people. If we were together in an office, everyone would have had lunch and coffee and everything with everyone else because it's only fifteen people like that's a very small group True. in yes. person yes, but The problem is being remote, there are some people whose jobs just don't interact. Like if you're a backend developer, you don't really need to talk to the person that writes our blog. Like you guys just don't have usually any work that overlaps or like you maybe don't need to talk to our finance person, you know? Mm -hmm. So It's really important that you're creating these opportunities and of course we do have in-person meetups but you can't you can't just rely on that. So these casual chats and movies and stuff like that is just a way to make sure that the you know the finance person and the designer are getting a chance to get to know each other because they might not get that chance.
1: Mm -hmm. That is interesting um so what we do in ARC is basically, we are like around 30 people now. Mm. So what we do is, so we are like a hybrid team. Like a lot of us are co-located in Taipei, Taiwan, but some of them are distributed in North America. So what we usually do is we celebrate birthdays. So let's say if you are a June baby, and after you, your birthday, we will celebrate by the May baby. People who are born in May are responsible to help uh. you just do like a really small thing. Uh. So. When we are celebrating the um, the um, the birthdays of the people who are remote, we are basically just using you know Zoom or using Owl. I just create like some bad like Jeopardy quiz like online where people can participate on Slack. Uh-huh. Like okay, like for example, like who wants to be a millionaire? Okay, ask the audience and then ask the audience that people just put their emojis on Slack and these are the these are the answers. So yeah. Uh- just this, uh, this small things like that, uh, but you mentioned you have an in-person meetups though is it like a whole team retreat
0: yeah, whole team retreat we've done sometimes once a year sometimes twice a year
1: hmm so was it like really um oh were you like pretty hands-on in like ma- not managing like uh, arranging the trip or no
0: that is not my skill set I don't <laughs> help at all yeah
1: yeah I'm just, I'm just mentioning because this is something that pe- um, remote companies are trying to dive into more, you mm. know, because they feel like in-person meetups are super important. And some of mm. the most creative um, initiative from the companies. So, for example, I talked to the CEO of Toggle, um, Chris Erhav. So they have this really cool uh, unicorn startup simulator. And it's a super fun game. And it came up when, uh, during the in-person meetup brainstorm. I think uh-huh. people try emulate that more. And, you know, also some great Project, especially like just came after that. Um, yeah,
0: you know, something that we found is important for our in person is not to be over scheduled because I think when you first do them, you're like, here's the breakfast, and then here's the work day, and then here's the activity, and then here's the meeting, and then here's drinks, and here's dinner, you know. And like, these are all people that choose to work alone from home, <laughs> you know, like, not everybody wants to spend. All day together, you know. Yeah. So now, like, we have time at, every day. We have at least like two or three hours, kind of in between, like the workday and dinner. Yeah just don't have anything scheduled because the people who are really social and want to hang out like they'll make it happen anyway you know someone will be like i'm going here if anybody you know wants to come with and then people can but like you know we're a software company right right? we're talking about (laughs) a bunch of developers who work remotely like often not people who want to be social all day
1: yeah i like how you mentioned that these are the people who choose to not meet people in real life like that's why they are working remotely like they hate people. Um, no, just kidding. But yes, that's funny, hilarious. But I, I did receive some degree of truth in it. I, I forgot. Um, I forgot which company. They basically, um, again, like on their meetups, they have this like free time. They even get their budget. Okay, mm. give you like a couple, couple hundred bucks. Do what you want to do in this beach. Mm. Um, just don't drown or something like that. <laughs> just
0: uh-huh. don't drown. Yeah, right. and we're also really clear that the social stuff, like you know, because we have dinners and social stuff in the evening, we're very clear that you don't have, there's no pressure to go to that. I mean, people obviously Uh, do go most days, but like, if you just feel like being by yourself one evening, you don't have to make up some elaborate excuse. You can just not go and no one's going to give you a hard time and it's totally okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so one of the, so I've interviewed a couple of remote startup leaders in most startup companies. So one of the topics that always came um, when it comes to, you know, employee management or team management is the onboarding for new employees. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a bit more what does the onboarding looks like for new hires in Mid-Edgar?
0: Yeah, so I think something funny about being remote is um, the first question we always have to address is how do I show up on the first day? If you're at an in-person office, you know how to show up. You walk into the office at nine o'clock. But when you're remote, people are like, "Do I send an email to someone and say <laughs> I'm working now? Like, what do I? What do I do?" So at our company, you know that you're working if you're on Slack. If you're signed on to Slack, that means you're right. working. If you're not signed on to Slack, that means that you're not working. So you know we tell we tell people that uh, we give people a first friend. And your first friend is someone who you can ask any question so that if you're not sure who to ask, you know who your first friend is and you can say, where do these documents live or how do we do this? How do we do that? We try to give people a really thorough tour of all the departments and not just their Mm -hmm. department. So they're understanding you know kind of what is like our basic marketing strategy what does right. our development process look like like how do we h- handle finances at our company because we are a small company so you yeah. can kind of get to know everyone and get to uh, understand everything and we give we give people a lot of time like the first week we assume that you're just gonna be like chatting to people poking around you know, reading through documents, reading through meeting notes. We don't start off with like, here's your project on the first Got it. day.
1: Yeah. You mentioned about like giving, uh, quote unquote tours, like for the, um, new hires. So what does this to entail is basically just like, let's say there's a lead developer that just go like one-on-one call with you and present you with like 30 minutes, something like that.
0: Yeah. So yeah, a lot of it is one-on-one calls with people from all over the company and they might kind of show you things that you can explore more on your own. So yeah, you might have a call with someone from our customer service department and they're like, here's where our help docs live. Here's how we kind of think about constructing them. Here's like the resources that we use when we make them, you know, you can read through more of them later. Here's like the top questions that our customers have. Here's the pages that get the most views.
1: Right. So yeah, um, Meet Edgar is a very small company. So before I, so when I did again when I was doing research, I was like, "Can you, I probably guess you'll have like 25, 30 people at least?" Mm-hmm. And I realized we're like fifteen. I was kind of surprised, but actually not that surprised because I also been following your writings and whatnot. So, um, so this small team is it like by design? Like, is it something that you want to cap on?
0: Yeah. I mean, like I said, we have been larger before. And I think a lot of companies go through this experience where maybe they at first are sort of excited about growing and then maybe something happens where they get smaller or, and then they're like, oh wait, I thought I wanted to be bigger, but I want to be smaller (laughs) and small. And small is really great. And I think the interesting thing about being small is like, It's such a balance, right? Because, of course, there's only so many things that you can achieve as a 15-person team, right? It's just – it's a limited resource set. You cannot do all the things at once. Yeah. But almost everyone prefers smaller teams. Like, it's very unusual to meet someone that's like, I'd rather be on an 80-person team than a 10-person team. Most humans enjoy how smaller teams operate. Mm -hmm. So – we're definitely a company that wants to remain very small. We are happy growing a bit slower and having a smaller team or we're happy never being, you know, a $500 million company. That's not yeah. really the the path that we're on.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I think you, you nail it uh, on the head. Like, I think lots of entrepreneurs like being in a small company, but most of them don't want to admit it. Right. Because they feel like, oh, everything is about scaling. Um, so I listened to this rework podcast with a uh, from Basecamp, like uh, David Heinemeyer Hansen, the CTO of Basecamp, was talking to the CEO, oh, no, it's CEO, sorry, the founder of One Password, Dave Tier. So they were mm-hmm. talking about uh, DHH, uh, which is David Heinemeyer Hansen, talked about stories like a lot of, he heard a lot of stories about um, startup founders that just don't feel like they don't, love their companies but just because it grows too mm-hmm. big and they prefer when it was smaller. They don't find the joy in it. So again, yes, I, I totally agree. I feel like most people, especially, okay, one of the things that comes to mind, especially when you're building a remote company, when you grow bigger, it's like you have 100 people, it's really harder to scale, again, with the process and documentation and whatnot. Yeah. So the, the, the so-called like communication debt will just, or the mm-hmm. process that will just stack up. Is there any particular thing that you think Meet Edgar does really well or emphasize more compared to other companies when it comes to culture? Or something that you personally really quite proud of?
0: Our our working hours. Um it's it's sad that this is a point of differentiation, <laughs> but we work 40-hour work weeks. Every week. There's no exceptions to that. There's no crunch time. Um, You know, our team has four weeks vacation, which again in America is considered a lot and um, we don't work on the evenings or the weekends. So that means that you will get no emails. There will be no Slack messages. It's just not, it's just not what we do. Um, And I think it's really important to be able to give people a job that they can really enjoy and work really hard during the workday and then they can unplug and be and be off mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think again uh, it's a lot of i think a lot of remote companies um are, are proud of. for example companies like Basecamp, they're a huge proponent of 40 hours work week i think mm-hmm. the main difference between meet edgar and is like how they work they you know they um they are the big proponent of a asynchronous work and we're right. more synchronous which is totally yeah. fine what works for you? um right and another thing that i want to uh talk about today is basically the thing that i'm super interested about because i don't think i'm really good at it is about processes mm-hmm. um so how do how does the meet at team go about documenting stuff in in general and mm-hmm yeah I just want to start with that first
0: so we use um tetra for our company wiki i think they're a really great product uh and we have a company wiki which i assumed that every company did but now yeah. i've come to find out a lot of companies just don't have like any documentation I think it's,
1: it's more like they have it and but they're just too lazy to update it like nobody yeah. knows when to update it right
0: right right so yeah we use basically like the the company wiki is used for things like processes or like directories or things that don't get updated very much and then google docs is used for more living documents or more like um you know like if there's a series of emails like the actual copy of the emails will live within google docs so it's not Like, you know, it's kind of the actual work, not like the the overview of something. And then we use a lot of um, just like pinning in Slack channels is also just a really Ah, good way to organize things. So every department in their Slack channel, they have like – um, usually a little kind of short list of what their priorities are and then that might be linked to like a, you know, document where it goes more in depth or it might just be a little slack note like here's the top three things for us right now. There's going to be a link to their meeting agenda notes so that everyone can find that easily. If there's like a big project that they're working on right now there's going to be a little overview of that penned. so um, we found that's a great way to organize information too.
1: Got it. So is the uh, team lead, or in your case, it's called team advocates, I think, Mm -hmm. like marketing advocates, are Mm -hmm. they the one who are somewhat responsible to keep that intact?
0: Yeah, they're responsible for it. We also have uh, someone on our operations team who is kind of like a helper for the entire team so she'll help kind of remind she'll kind of look around and be like okay you don't have your priorities updated you know go yeah. ahead and fill that in here so she kind of helps remind people to do mm-hmm. that
1: mm-hmm. i think this role is really underrated especially in remote companies yeah. i think there's someone that has to just go and like okay is this updated or not um there's someone that has this you know this focus and oh, by the way i just want to just sidetrack a little bit um the team leads in Mid Edgar is not called managers; it's called advocates, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a bit more why advocates?
0: Yeah, so we came up with that word because we we're like, okay, what should we call it, right? Because we're not like we talked about, we're not doing a VP; we don't use yeah. VP title. Like yeah. manager, manager feels a little old school yeah. <laughs> to call someone a manager. So we're like, okay, well, you know, what are they doing? They're really advocating for both their team members and they're advocating for their like department and the company. So if you are the customer experience advocate, you, it's just sort of, I think it's a way to emphasize the idea of, you know, what some people call servant leadership, that the director or the manager is serving their team instead of the team serving the director. So your advocate is advocating for you, the members of the customer experience team, and is also advocating when we're talking with the leadership team of the company, they're like, hey, this is why customer experience is important and needs priority and needs resources and all that
1: right yeah that is interesting because as you're talking like i just realized the name advocate like if someone called me like you know mar- marketing advocate it's more like you no know, evangelist or something like this mm-hmm. like i'm not managing i'm I, right. in, in i mean technically i'm managing someone but it's more like it's not like i look down at managing but like mm-hmm. i advocate i look up to the uh to the c suit, for example that I want to advocate this stuff for my team and this is the project I propose for example.
0: Yeah. And um, and we wanted to have a word for it because we're also very clear that we're not a a flat organization yeah. like it's not you know a few years it's not so popular anymore but a few years ago it was like holacracy is big right and being flat is big and we've always been a company that's like no we're very organized and exactly what your role is everyone needs to know who their boss is because that's that's another thing that, especially in remote companies, I guess it's easy to just sort of leave everything very loose. And we're yeah. really a big fan of of clarity and just making, making things really clear for people. So if you're like, oh, well, you don't, you know, everyone just takes ownership and you don't really have a boss. It's like, well, then who determines my salary. Like, can someone else fire me? And it's like, no, actually you do have a boss. We're just going to pretend like, no one knows who it is.
1: Right, (laughs) right. So we're not
0: going to pretend. We're just going to tell you like, no, this person is like in, you know, this person is your boss. So know that, but yeah, they're also advocating for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think this is a good segue to my next, uh, the, the next thing I want to talk about is, um, with Edgar, like you guys has, uh, have no deadlines
0: yeah so we do still largely operate without deadlines and the Mm -hmm. reason why so something to know about our company is we're totally self-serve we don't do any custom work so that also means like we don't have a sales team we don't have any enterprise clients we've never written a line of code for a specific client right so that means that we can be really flexible. Like obviously we work for our customers and that we create a product for them, but we never uh, promise any public deadlines for features or anything like that. I mean, we have an audience of developers here. I don't need to explain why, (laughs) you (laughs) know, it can be a bad idea to publicly promise a deadline for a software feature. Um, So that means that we found that it's, often more useful to be really specific about the scope of a project rather than the deadline so if we're you know developing a feature for example getting really really clear before we start on exactly what this means exactly what it includes exactly what it doesn't include and then of course we all want to make sure we're on the same page as far as like is this a one hour project? Is this a six month project, (laughs) right? I mean, you need to have some idea of how long it's going to take. But the reason that we don't have deadlines is because we've found that you can't have strict deadlines and have a no crunch time culture, which is what we have, right? If you have a deadline, you're going to have to work overtime sometimes to make the deadline. That's just how it is. If you're like, it has to get done by Friday, no matter what, well, you're going to have to work late. Friday night sometimes to make that happen. And what we find is, like, we're like, okay, this is what needs to happen. Like, we just had – we just released our our Android app. And, you know, we're a small team. There was only one developer who was working on the Android app. It was just his project. Well, he ended up having a longer vacation scheduled right when the project was supposed to be wrapping up. That's just sort of how the timing worked out. So it didn't finish until he got back from vacation. That's just how it was. And, like, it doesn't really – matter. You know, mm-hmm. like we hadn't promised to our clients that it was gonna be live on a certain day. In the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter if the Android app goes live today or two weeks from today. If we had said no, this is absolutely the deadline, we would have had to say to him, you know what, you had this vacation scheduled but guess what? It ended up falling at the time where the project needs to be done, so you can't take the vacation. Like if you want to have strict deadlines, that's just what goes with it. Mm-hmm. So we're like, we're gonna have a clear project scope, and then it's gonna get done when it gets done.
1: Yeah, I, I do find it interesting because I find it interesting because on one hand, I feel like Meet Edgar is actually pretty structured when it comes mm-hmm. to remote companies. You know, the um, I don't want to say strict, but like uh, uh, consistent working hours. Yeah and you know how people should be in slack but on the other hand there's this not non-anxiety inducing like there's no deadlines as long and there's a there's level of trust you i trust you guys to do your uh, best work for yeah. the company and when it's done it's done if it's not done i trust you will continue it uh you won't this app won't let, like 10 years and it's not done like there's a certain level of trust on it
0: and I mean, we would talk about it, right? If we're like, um, yeah. this is taking a month longer than we thought it would. Like, what's <laughs> happening here? Like, obviously, those conversations are are gonna yeah. happen.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, I I can I can see it. Like, there's no deadlines, but like passive aggressive, not passive aggressive, <laughs> but like, like you know, it's been like three months, and then, um, but but when there's a new hire, um, I'm not sure if you hired uh, someone new recently, but um, there's new hire that they are pretty used to. Uh, Deadlines, or yeah. at least have a soft death. Did they feel anxious or something like that?
0: I don't think so because people are always welcome to do it for themselves, you know, and I think that's something that we've discovered is to really let people have their own style of work. And that also means like, I remember for a long time I was like, we all, everyone at the company has to use the same project management system and we can never find something that worked for the marketing team and the development team. And it was this stupid like thorn in our side. Like, are we going to use Trello or Asana or pivotal tracker? Right? Like, and then we're like, you know what? Different departments, can use different things yes it's, it's okay so if the way that someone works is they're like i love deadlines i love to have my work mapped out every day that i'm gonna do it, it's like cool go for it
1: mm-hmm. yeah the thing oh my god the thing that you say is basically the bane of my existence <laughs> because like uh just a while ago um, a lot of uh, the marketing team members like to use asana and uh. I was like, I don't like Asana, and there's me. They literally look at me like, like I'm a, I'm a pagan or something like that. <laughs> Why don't you believe in our God, Asana? <laughs> right. Like it's, 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 it's crazy. But yes, I think it, it, it all depends again back to like uh, documentation and what. The, by the way, uh, just like mentioned about uh, documentation. Um, how do you avoid over documentation, or was there even any problem like this? before we haven't
0: had too much problem with over documentation i mean our philosophy is just do it messy and do it you know Mm -hmm. you just need to have things written somewhere like and this is also something we've gone back and forth on over the years like we've tried to create these really lovely you know project templates and it's like okay here's the template and you fill out all these parts where we found that sometimes i guess that can be over documentation and kind of slow you down Whereas if you just have a Google Doc and you're like, okay, here's the six things you need to know about this project and they're written in the Google Doc and the document has a clear name that you can search for. I'm always adding just random words to my Google Doc titles of like things, you know, words that I might look up. It's like finance, money, operations, financial. You know, because I'm like, which of those words will I like type in when I'm looking for this later? Honestly, as long as you have that, we just kind of try to encourage people, it's better to just put it down somewhere don't wait till you have this like beautiful perfectly organized document
1: right yeah um so laura so we've been talking about uh, a lot of stuff like uh documentation i just want to end this with a you know that um you guys have this handbook like the meet edgar handbook Mm -hmm. that you've published for uh so other companies can learn from or even uh, copy that. But so this, so I thought as you guys made it public in twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. um, can you share a bit more about uh, why?
0: Yeah. So we found that we were a lot more organized than most other small okay. companies. <laughs> like I said, I was I I was surprised that some companies, yeah, have no documentation or like you said, it's just a bunch of stuff that's five years out of date and no one's ever looked at it. Yeah. Um. We also have always been really good at clear policies, and I think, you know, what you kind of spoke to earlier is finding this balance of having a lot of, like, boundaries and a lot of certainty combined with giving people a lot of responsibility and a lot of freedom, and we've found that having clear parameters actually gives people the freedom to not worry about that. Like one example is I am not a believer in unlimited vacation time because I think unlimited vacation time means figure out with the back channels, how much vacation time you're actually allowed to use. Right. There is a norm that the company is okay with. So just tell people what the norm is. Right. Or like we found even for things that seem really silly, like we found it was really stressful for people. They would, um, go to a conference and we're like, okay, you know, book a hotel room on your company credit card. And people would feel really stressed about how much money that should cost. They're like, do I need to scour the city and find the cheapest possible hotel room? Or is it okay to stay in the conference hotel room that costs, you know, twice as much as the one down the street? Like, which one is okay? So giving people these specifics of like, we literally write, here's how much hotel rooms, obviously depends on the city, but like, here's the range of how much hotel rooms cost per night. Giving people that kind of information is very freeing and really allows them to focus on their work (laughs) (laughs) instead of hotel room stress. So We released the handbook because we found that a lot of companies felt really lost as far as like, what should HR policies be? How do I, especially for, you know, new entrepreneurs that are hiring their first few people, how do I do time off? How do I do sick time? Like, what should the policy be? So we're like, we've found some things that work pretty well for us and we have them documented. We'll just put it out there and share it with you. And we've had a bunch of emails from founders that are like, thank you. I just copied exactly what you wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I just took yeah. your handbook and I made that right. my handbook. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it'll evolve for them over time with their company. But we love when people do that.
1: Yeah. I, I like the handbook because it's quite simple compared to other mm-hmm. companies. Like some other companies have their internal handbook, which is also great. But it's I Mid mean, Edgar's version, it's just simple. It's, it's a one pager, right? It's a one pager, almost one pager.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a little more, but
1: oh, there's more. Oh my God. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, we try, yeah.
0: We try to keep it simple and not like legally is right. Just giving people all the information that they need.
1: Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So Laura, this has been an absolutely fantastic chat. It's a really fun chat. So um, where can people find you online?
0: Yeah, so you can find meetedgar, M-E-E-T-E-D-G-A-R, meetedgar.com, meetedgar on the social media. Uh, we do have a coupon code for podcast listeners. It's PODCAST, all caps, get, gets you your first month free in MeetEdgar, Edgar, PODCAST, all caps. And um, I blog at lauraroader.com, or you can find me on Twitter at LKR.
1: Yeah. So for the listeners, you can find all of these in the show notes and don't forget to follow Laura and medium and Twitter. And um, she has this three letter media, uh, Twitter handle. So you know that she's legit. Um, so yeah, Laura, thank you so much again for your time. Yeah. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of Outside the Valley brought to you by ARC. We created this podcast with the hope that in each episode, you can learn something new from other remote startup people. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at jovian at arc.dev. It's J-O-V-I-A-N at A-R-C dot Or you can find us on Twitter at arc.dev. See you next week with another episode of Outside the Valley, and ciao.